If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 133 of the podcast. If you're new to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and support. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. So you're in for a real treat today, whether you're an expecting parent, have recently had a child, or are simply curious about your own birth and development. My guest for today, Carol McClellan, is one of my teachers from the Upledger Institute. Her instruction was a huge part of the development of my pediatric practice. She's taught for more than three decades around the world and worked alongside Dr. John Upledger for much of that time. She's Vice President of Education and Programs Development at APA, the Association of Pre- and Perinatal Psychology and Health. And what she brings is a combination of wisdom and humor in helping us understand our roles in the village that we often refer to, uh, to bring a child into the world, the team of people that it takes from conception to birth and beyond, and how these connections can have a profound and lasting effect on the health of our families and our communities. Please enjoy my conversation with Carol McClellan. You started a holistic clinic too, did you not in, in California or is that still going? I did. I had, well, I did and I had it for 18 years. Yeah. Um, but then it got to the point I was traveling and teaching so much that I was hiring other people to be there for me. Okay. And I finally decided I needed to let it to sell it so yeah. that I could be more available. I I'm, I feel very honored and fortunate that I got to work, you know, one on one with Dr. Upledger, and yeah. um, he invited me to do the um, conception, pregnancy, and birth curriculum. And so I felt like there's just so much information that I wanted to make sure everybody gets. Yeah. So I had to. Let, I let my clinic. I sold my clinic. Oh, yeah. I, I had you know, a, my a, clinic is all over the world helping other, I'd I rather, I can help more people yeah. by helping therapists, right? Yeah. With all their clients. And I think so. teaching is down the line for me too. I've done some lecturing at a, at a health sciences university here, but I, I'm, I am thinking, and Jackie's pushing me right now to try to get this happening. <laughs> we'll, we'll probably do a little bit down the line too. And it'd be fun to, fun to do some work together. But what, what, yeah, that would be. Your background, did you start out as a as a therapist or body worker? I forget what your background is. Yes, I started out as holistic health therapist okay. and body therapist. Um, and weirdly or interestingly, um, uh, not long after that, I actually also started doing birth work. When I moved to the Central Valley, um, there was a knock on my door and it was my neighbor who helped run a birth clinic. Mm. And it was one thing led to another. And so I started working at the clinic and working with a group of what I called 
dream doctors because the head doctor, Dr. Um, Ellis, um, he they were very holistic yeah. OBGYNs. And they really honored a mom's body. And they said, well, we're here in case of emergency. But they, the things I learned, they were wonderful mentors, them and then along with Dr. Upledger. I was very blessed to have both wonderful backgrounds. What was, your, what was your role in that place? Um, well, I was one of the um, doulas. We set up a doula program. We brought Penny Simkin in, okay. which that was 30, I don't know, 30 some years ago. And that time Penny Simkin wasn't as well known. So we brought her in and she sat down with three of us and helped us set up a doula training program. So we did that. And um, then we had doulas, the hospital paid for every, the little community hospital paid for every mom to have a doula. Wow. Can you believe that? And even we had, we had cesarean birth doulas. So even when a mom, because that's when they're the most, you know, they're scared and no mom, so well, nowadays, sometimes they choose to have a cesarean, but most moms felt like a failure if they had a cesarean. So to have someone there um, assisting them was really, really lovely. Yeah. So, um, and then cranial sacral just fit right with that. That's and a, that's so amazing. that's when the doctors are like, I said, could we train maybe some of the doulas to do cranial sacral? And they liked it, but the political administration didn't really. Yep. And so, um, but you keep on doing what you're doing, right? Yep. And that's when I met, if you remember in the class I told you about, that's, I met Captain DeGroote, who was the commanding officer of a military hospital who loved cranial sacral. Yeah, she was that's a nurse right. And um, so I got carte blanche to her OB department for two and a half years. And she was, oh, she was masterful because um, she, we got to teach two cranial one classes to her medics. Wow. So we taught 40 hospital personnel. And um, and then I go to their their old hospital across the street from their new hospital became like a wellness center. Yeah. And so we go over there and we I do study groups with the with the medics wow. and the stories of them using it in Afghanistan and in Iraq was unbelievable. That's, well. that's such a great way to, to bring it to, to it, well, well, and you see the population. differences, not a huge amount of difference from treating soldiers with PTSD and moms that have been through birth trauma. Yeah, There's yeah. so many similarities. Yeah. And so, um, and I think, you know, then I said that, um, Captain DeGroote got a call from Bureau of Medicine, Washington, D.C., saying that they're sending 800 troops to her medical jurisdiction. One in five would have significant PTSD, yeah, and so yeah. she needed to be aware of that and deal with it. So that's when she called me because she knew that Dr. Upledger had worked with the Vietnam vets yeah. and said, do you think he'd come out? So I called him and he came out. But the difference was these soldiers were not vets. They could be redeployed any time. So, but what's interesting is they really didn't want to get treated, <laughs> but your commanding officer invited you. It's like a command yeah. um, because they thought that all that angst in them made them stronger if they got redeployed. And what we found was by getting treated, they actually felt more resilient when they went. That's interesting. When they got redeployed. And the fun thing was then we saw a huge difference in their families because Captain DeGroote always worried about the trickle-down effect in the families from when a mom or dad has has PTSD. Yeah. And it was really fun to see the changes it made. It's interesting just because the in, in the general population, I mean, I, I I tell people, you know, I feel like there's there's kind of an, an you know an offboarding period after a session where I try to I try for somebody who's newer to the work to try to help them understand, you know, 
what changes they may notice, you know, going through the the next few hours of their day, because it may be a new experience. We, we don't always know the full extent of what their traumas may have been or what stressors they may have been, you know, having recently. Some of it comes through an intake, but a lot of that stuff comes in over a few sessions where you start to really get to know them and their story. But I like to try to, you know, let them know that it, it may feel like your, you know, your system has kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, but that is really what a, a balanced autonomic nervous system feels like, where you have that 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 sort of energy buoying you underneath, but you but you keep your focus and you're not feeling like you're on that hamster wheel, you know, running. And I can see why in a in, even in a military situation, it would be beneficial because it allows you to not be so overreacted to to just about anything when you've when you've been going through a lot of you know stressful environments. Yep. And well, you know, Dr. Upledger used to say about that, um, that your sympathetic system, nervous system was the big spender. It is the big you know, spender. It does whatever needs to happen in the moment of crisis. Yeah. But if we don't let it come back down to that baseline, you know, where we're in that um, balanced homeostasis, um, then we're we're taking away from our everyday um, uh, parasympathetic system. Yeah. And then that's when you start getting health issues. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, I'm curious to go back into like, you know, the start of life process. With I, I have less experience prenatal work. I've done I've done some, um, but it seems like that's been a bigger part of your your practice and your experience. So, you know, at, at how can you explain how you start working, you know, prenatally with with a new life, um, and you know, th- thinking about the system, you know, with that and the connection with the mother. That is key. And the connection with you hit the nail on the head, Jeremy. It's um, the connection with the mother, because um, it's so important. Be, that creates what we call bonding. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, we have the upcoming um, Beyond the Dora, and Stephen Porges, our key speaker, talks about safety and the and a balanced uh, system, the yeah. ventrovagal, and with the polyvagal system, and that starts before birth. You know, and it's even influenced from previous generations through DNA. Right. But it definitely starts in utero. And one of the key things, if you remember from the classes, we teach moms to um, really communicate with their baby, not just look down at their tummy and go, hi, baby. Right, right. But really communicate because we help them palpate the cranial rhythm of the fetus or the baby. Yeah. And the more they're aware, we call it birthing in consciousness, or but I really mean it. It's awareness of the effect they're having on the baby. Even in the uh, in the military, when we had the dads come to some of the um, treatments when we were treating moms during pregnancy, you know they're jet fighter pilots, and they're like, "Well, I don't know. I, I deal with. I'm more into the kids when they can play ball." But when they came in and I had them talk to baby in utero, then they were there during labor and delivery. Amazing things happened and they were much closer to their children. Children are born feeling safe, feeling loved, feeling welcomed. And it changes not only the neurological development, it raises their immune system. It balances their body. And if they can continue to get that wonderful bonding, especially lots of skin to skin in the first nine to 12 months after birth, um, that continues their neurological um, development and that safety and that sense of being important and being heard and being welcomed. And it, it really changes. And if every baby could have that, it would change our society. Right. You know, I don't say that lightly. No, you know? I I completely agree with you, and and I'm I'm curious on on how you explain 
from a more scientific point of view, what that what what's happening neurologically with that with that bond? <clears throat> partly oh, because interesting. I oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, partly because I think there's there is a part of it that when they're when they are still when the when the baby's in utero. Um, there, there is obvious, you know, neural connection once they're outside, you know, that it becomes almost kind of more of an, maybe energetic and neural connection, but our nervous system is an electrical system. And so I'm just curious how you, how you define that. There is massive amounts of research on skin to skin bonding. Now, interestingly, the doctor that I worked for, the ob that I worked for 35 years ago was wanting to, was starting to research skin to skin bonding. And now... There's lots of it, of research. In fact, you can you can take a curriculum in Germany called Bonding BA um, and b- Bonding and Birth Attachment, and you can actually get, you know, licensed in it mm. because the massive amount of research that's coming out of it. Um, we're very fortunate that one of the research that was some of the research that was done was by um, Dr. Raylene Phillips, who's a neonatologist oh, at yeah. Loma Linda. Yep. And um, she likes cranial sacral. I met her at a conference I was speaking at for APA, actually. And um, she was really curious to know more about it. And she followed me. I, we, we went over to um, Italy because I was working with a neonatologist there using cranial sacral therapy in the NICU. And um, she is a great resource. She wants it in her in her NICU. She wants all of her therapists in the NICU and nurses to be able to do cranial sacral and similar modalities. But she also wrote and did the research on the first hour after birth called the sacred hour. Mm-hmm. And um, I probably shared that with you in the class and I'm happy to send it to you again. But it, she talks about that first hour after birth and how critical it is to be skin to skin and the neurological development yeah. that happens. I think it's on the and Apple website you, as well. Yes. And she, if you miss that, it's a window of time that if you yeah. miss, the baby never gets that opportunity again. And it is so critical that um, they remodeled the operating room in the hospital because normally they would take the baby to, you know, the nursery and they had a team that would assess baby after a cesarean course that's necessary. And, but now they have a window, they pass this, let mom see the baby, of course, and then pass the baby through the window. They do all the necessary medical assessments, et cetera, put the baby back and baby's back on mom within five minutes or less. So baby gets, this is cesarean. They haven't even probably finished stitching mom up yet. Yeah, yeah. And they're because it's such a critical time for a lot of the neurology that happens. Yeah. And that, as you said, you taught you work with lactation, but you know, a lot of moms that have cesareans, it's the it's more difficult for the bonding, not the bonding as much, but the um, breastfeeding is sometimes trickier. Yeah. And part of that comes from that need to be skin to skin the first hour after birth. That's even informing mom baby's immune system. Yeah. You know, and because baby is also gathering information from mom's, you know, um, microbes. Yeah. First coming down through the birth canal and then skin to skin. So it's not just neurological, it's helping the immune system as well. Right. And, th- and that's what I'm interested in. I think there's there, there's stuff happening at a cellular level that I think we just are, you know, we're, we're cracking the codes to and we're getting a lot more information down to that level. 
Um, so that, you know, to, to, to hear about the research going on with that and that they're actually starting to find that is, is amazing. I mean, we have a lot of subjective information and we sort of, I think, innately know that there's something about touch that makes us feel grounded and safe and all those kinds of things. But, but we, but I, I'm, I get more curious too, and I want to kind of dig down always and know like, well, there's, there's probably more behind that, that we can, that we can learn from, from the cellular body too. Totally. And what's really fun is when Dr. Uplager and I were setting up, when I was setting up the first conception, pregnancy and birth with cranial sacral therapy curriculum, um, there was so much information. We didn't even have time for all the embryology. So that's what the second class is matrix and embodying our embryology. And that is exactly everything we go into um, because it's the primal health. Yeah. And your nervous system, your neurology, your nervous system, your hormones, and your immune system right. all develop together. And one is dependent on the other and on the hormones. And so everything needs to be in balance. And what's interesting is, um, you know, we treated babies that way and we've had good success. And the exciting thing is now there's just massive amounts of scientific research that is coming through that supports what we've been doing for the past 30 years. Yeah. 30 plus years. Um, and one thing is um, is also the fetal chimerism, which means that when when mom has a baby, some of the baby's stem cells stay in moms. We know right. some of mom's obviously DNA and stem cells are in the baby, yeah. but some of the baby's stem cells stay in the mom. And they're finding out more and more that the what happens is the baby stem cells actually, I mean, I have pictures I show in class of a 50-year-old male stem cells still in his mom's thymus. Wow. Yeah. And they're finding it that, it that those stem cells can actually, in some ways, help heal the mother. But it's certainly another way to communicate, you know, um, and yeah. we've actually used them when we treat someone. And I think I was saying this just before the, before we got on the interview was I was just in a class and we had a woman who had taken on in utero a lot of her mom's anger and yeah. angst yeah. and and her mom was not a happy person. She lived, had a very difficult childhood and lots of trauma, never smiled. Yeah. And when her daughter released this out of her body, the next night we saw her mom, her mom was smiling. She's like, oh my gosh, she's a different person. We never treated her mom. Yeah. It was just because we all... You know, we carry the cellular memory of our our moms, Absolutely. our parents, our ancestors, and we can change that. So, you know, we're we're starting to look at it on a quantum level, not just a cellular or neurological level. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's kind of mind boggling. It, it is. I've seen a lot of it. So, I, I worked in New York for I worked there on. You know, I was lived there for thirteen years, and I still go back there to do some work. Um, so I so I've seen a lot of of. Um, people who are descendants of Holocaust survivors, sometimes one or two generations removed, and there's so much chronic health issue in in that community. And and as you're saying, like we we carry a lot of that cellular information, and then then there's all the you know the emotional stuff that that we you know our environments, the, everything that we sort of like are, are affected by, and and that does affect us at a cellular level. So we you know I'm I'm well, it's the epigenetics, it right? Is. It is. And, and that's, yeah. and, and I've been much more interested in, you know, and I'm always, I always feel like I'm working on that part for myself as well. Right. I mean, that's, everybody is doing that. So tell me about what, how you think that process shifts things in, in terms of that, that, that epigenetic story, because that, I feel like 
that that is a big thing that I hear people talk about a lot when they when they become new parents is that they don't want to repeat patterns or they want to you know they they want to do things differently. Well, if you're talking about people becoming parents, the ideal time to start it in my in my <laughs> dream world is before they conceive, because yeah. but then both mom and dad can get treated cranial sacral, sacrally, change the story in their cells so that when they conceive, it's like it's like getting the nursery ready. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we're not there yet. So I always say, you know, talking to the baby, communicating with the baby in utero is pre-parenting. Yeah. And it is the time when you're starting to create that bond with baby. And it really does make a difference. And then when you see um, how they want, you know, parents going, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to carry this to my child. I want to break that pattern. We have, as you probably know, that Dr. Pledger created something completion that he called completion of the biological process. Right. And um, in a simple way to say it. Um, we can we can't change what happened to us, but we can change the way we hold that story in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't have to keep robbing us of our health. And that's exactly the story I just told you about that girl and her mom. She 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 carried some of her mom's stuff thinking it was hers. Yeah. And when we treated her and she released that out of her cell, she realized it wasn't hers. Right. But not only did it help her feel better, it changed her mom, too. And so we are all connected, but if we heal ourselves, it works both in the next generation and the past generation. Right. And so it's really, really about learning to tune in to one's what Dr. Upledger called inner physician or inner wisdom. Right. And as therapists, we help facilitate that change to change the story. And um, it is amazing to see. It's really miraculous to see some of the changes that occur in people. Yeah. I mean, you can physically, for anybody who hasn't had the work before, you can you can physically see it on a person's face. You can see it in the way they hold their bodies. Even before right. they even before they get off the table, sometimes you can just you can see visual yes. changes. Even I had my younger my son treated by Dr. Obliger when he was five. And it went back to things that happened when he was a baby, yeah. um, you know, he'd fallen in water and he was still holding my stress about him falling in the water and it affected him. Yeah. He was cold a lot, et cetera, et cetera. And um, when Dr. John treated him, we released my stuff out of him. And that was, you know, 25 years I, ago. I remember you telling the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's like to be able to see that and feel it, I, you know, it's hard to describe it, but you can just see the change. Yeah. Yeah. I might, so it is changing it on a cellular level. My, my daughter had meningitis at 12 days old, found out wow. she had group B strep. And luckily I had been working with babies already. So I, I sort of knew something was really off and I had a relationship with pediatricians. So we were able to get her in very quickly. So really nothing that we can tell that was problematic from it, but the, but our anxieties and stresses and, you know, that, that kind of stuff to, you know, to be new parents at that point was, was a lot. And we had it, we have an older one too, but it, this was such a very different situation to, to, to get through. And I think fortunately, you know, we had both, my wife and I had both gotten a lot of work, you know, over the years. So mm -hmm. in some ways I feel like we weathered that storm pretty well, a lot of support and stuff, but I still, there was a, there was a, there was a little bit of this, you know, I, I could tell my fight or, fight or flight response would go up a little more quickly for a while until everything finally settled. And there was a, there was a period of time where we just there was a lot of wait and see. Like, is there are there going to be any problems? You know, we 
we got some early intervention and some physical therapy and occupational therapy just to kind of, you know, have support just in case. But, you know, I think it just took a while for that to finally fade. But I love hearing that you and your wife both got treated because the parents carry part of that for the child, right. just as the child will take on some of the parents' stress. Yeah. You know, and you probably remember in classes when we bring babies in to treat them, um, we always treat them, especially babies, we treat them next to mom. How many times have you seen when we're treating multiple hands yeah. that the therapists end up on both the same place in the baby and the mom or the dad because they all hold similar strain patterns because they tend to take on each other's patterns. Absolutely. And so it's really important when we're working with pregnant moms and babies to have mom communicate to fetus. If something comes up or mom has stress or anxiety, talk to baby and say, baby, you know, this is mom's mom might have a little cry or get a little upset, but don't take it on. It's just me feeling, getting that out of there. So I feel better. So I can be more there. I can be there for you, but it's so important to communicate that to baby. So baby doesn't take it on. Yeah. And and how do you see your role going back to the prenatal work? How do you see your role with baby in utero? My role with baby as a therapist? Yeah. As a therapist. I think it's critical that, and I, I say this in classes, I think it's critical that we facilitate the communication between mom and baby. Okay. Yeah. And we've found a lot of fetuses that might have had stress or issues, but we don't deal, we don't connect with them directly. We help mom connect with them because we never want to get in the way of that mother and child bond because it's so deep and so critical. And so it's not uncommon that we've seen in some classes I mean, you could have the best therapist, but they're so excited to treat that little fetus, you know, their energy gets there before they do. And yeah. the, that baby's across mom's belly going, whoa, what's going on? Oh, yeah. But, or that, or they're responsive because somebody's paying attention to them, maybe in a way that mom didn't know she could. Yeah. And so we don't want to rob that from the parents. It's important for the parents to be communicating to their child. And I've had instances where we had babies that had issues in utero and we had mom learn how to tune into them. That's when we're feeling both cranial rhythms and letting mom tune in and kind of feel the difference in that herself to know what's significant. And, you know, my goal is obviously I wish we could help everybody have the most perfect treatment, Um, but it doesn't always work that way. But when you have a mother and child communicating on that deep level, even if there's an issue with baby at birth, they're so connected that they're able to communicate and be a team to work through anything. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, that's when it really becomes so important and you see that bonding. Yeah, I love that. And the other thing that's happening is when moms are communicating with baby in utero like that and dads, um, if mom has a trauma happen or something happens and she talks to baby about it, baby's starting to learn ways of coping. Okay, I don't have to take that on. That's mom's and starting to learn differences subtly. We don't know. We're learning how that works. We see the results of it for sure. Yeah. Um, now we're starting to be able to track that more. Um, science is tracking it. And one of the ways they're tracking a lot of the information we're getting about, especially about conception in birth, is because there's so much fertility um, issues that they're doing a lot of research on what happens mm. during conception. Mm. And it's pretty amazing. And even the communication with mom and dad 
during during conception and after, you know, of course, gestation makes a huge difference. And people don't realize it's the powerful impact it can have. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I told you the story before, but um, even so many moms are having cesareans. And I think, you know, if we could treat them with cranial sacrally ahead of time, a lot of times they don't have to have cesareans. I'm happy cesareans are safe if they're needed, but I think we're having way too many. But it's really important if a mom has to have a cesarean, talk to the baby. Hey, baby, this, is not my, this wasn't my plan, but... You know, this is why we're doing it, and this is what's going to happen, and we want you to be healthy and mom to be healthy. And and I, it might sound silly to some people that we're talking to baby, but, you know, I treated a young man a number for a, a number of years who had learning challenges. And he, what happens, so typical, then their self-esteem goes down. They start hanging around right. with the wrong kids. Yep. They start doing self-medicating drugs or whatever. And so this young man, his mom had put him in a group for teenagers that were all of, he was one of two in that group of 40 young men that had not been to prison or juvenile detention yet, but he was on the road. And um, anyway, he called me and he said, I have to tell you what happened. We're in this class called self-empowerment or uh, for us. So we feel better about ourselves. And they made us do this breathing and really deep breathing, which reminded me of something we did in the 80s called rebirthing. Mm-hmm. And he said, I remembered my birth. And he said, I re- his older sister was an emergency cesarean, so they automatically booked his mom for a cesarean. Mm-hmm. But he had, you know, it's the baby's hormone that starts all the contractions and starts the birth. Yeah. Well, they had planned it on a day. he Mom hadn't gone into labor yet. Um, she was 40 weeks, but she hadn't gone into labor yet. So he's like... He said, I remember that this is happening and I wasn't ready. Yeah. And nobody asked me if I was ready. I was horrified. I was scared and I didn't know what's happening. And it felt very strange and scary to me, like I was being disconnected from my mom and I wasn't ready. And he said, you know what? Nobody has ever listened to me or asked me my opinion mm. and I'm not heard. And so when he went back to this group of 40 boys after his after this experience, and they all had to share their experience, when he said this and he said he felt that way, every single one of those, every one of those 40 boys was a cesarean birth. Interesting. Now, that's not science, but. Right. No, but it's, but it's, but it's interesting. Right. If the moms would have known to let their child know, hey, this is what's happening, even if it's an emergency, dad or a cranial sacral therapist or someone nearby could let baby know. So baby knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Because just by talking to them is a bonding and that does help lower their stress levels. Yeah. So so, so then how, how do you think craniosacral work facilitates uh, a natural birth and prevention of a, of a cesarean? Okay. Um, when I was working, I think that we help empower moms. Okay. Yeah. When, and I think that they need to get treated through ideally before conception, but then during pregnancy and helping mom, one of the key things, of course, we're going to go in and we're going to help if mom needs to release strain patterns somewhere in her pelvis or whatever, so that baby grows nicely and her uterus is in a proper place, et cetera. But also that communication is key. Mm-hmm. And we have found that when moms get treated during pregnancy, 
they are more comfortable when they are ready to go into labor and delivery. And when I was treating them, I would always, I I would never, we would never in the hospital, you know, not, not allow them to have any kind of pain meds. We would never think of that. But a lot of them wanted to delay an epidural or pain meds as long as they could, because they really wanted to stay connected with baby. Well, the ones that had gotten treated during pregnancy felt so comfortable almost none of them needed an epidural and it made their birth go much smoother because once you have an epidural or pain meds you know mom's down she's not walking anymore or moving and so that can slow everything down and then sometimes they have to induce you know pitocin which that stops the natural oxytocin um, for a while so even more important then that that we need to do the skin-to-skin bonding afterwards but um, we found that our cesarean birth rate when I was working on the military hospital and unfortunately it wasn't thousands of babies but um, because you know tapped into group her time was up and she had to move on as the military. You're not, you don't choose how long you stay in a place. (laughs) But um, anyway, um, we found that our cesarean birth rate went down to like 2% of the moms that got treated during pregnancy. Yeah. And and I can see why in that, in that particular situation, I mean, I feel like I, I experienced this living in New York a little bit too, where a lot of career women not really getting the time to, you know, towards that, in that last trimester to wind down because, they're trying to get all their, you know, everything in line because they're probably in a little bit more of a responsible career field and they know they're going to be going back at a certain point. So there's a lot of stressors leading up to the to the pregnancies. And I I, I was fortunate to work with you know, dozens of, of women who were, you know, wanting some support at, at the end and feeling like, you know, they're, they're past their due date, but they can just tell nothing's happening. And and sometimes within a day or two of me treating them, they go into labor. So, right. and, it, and that that is probably related to what you're talking about, that communication. Mom's, yep. mom's hormonal system is basically informing, you know, what's going on with, with you know, baby releasing this hormone to, for it to right. start, to start labor. Well, they're, they're a team, right? Right, right. <laughs> we, we, for so many years, I mean, of course, they would monitor baby's, you know, heart rate and and its system, but nobody was really as concerned about talking to baby. Now we're realizing how important that that bonding is with mom and especially busy moms. You know, it's important for busy moms to talk to baby and go, hey, I've had a really long day. And I have to, I'm trying to get all this done so that when you come, I can make the most of our time together and whatever amount of time I get off, you know, for, for having you. Um, But if they started talking to baby ahead of time, that would also help baby um, feel calmer and it would lower their stress levels and lower their, because they're learning that stress from their moms, literally physiologically, as well as. Um, a pattern or a blueprint. Yeah, and I, and I try to I try to talk to you know expecting mothers about about their environment a little bit sometimes yeah. too, and really thinking about their bodies, their environment, but also all of their relationships, their you know their work life, all these things, so that they sort of have some sense, you know, going in like of starting to kind of sort through that and say, oh, I need to work on improving this environment. This is something that's definitely affecting me physically, you know, mentally, emotionally. That is going to probably affect the outcome, and I and I just feel like the 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 people who really take that seriously have a, have a, a much better birth story. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, definitely. 
I mean, as we said earlier in this conversation, we can, we can, as cranial sacrotherapists, can go back and help them change the story. But it's so much better if we can do it at the beginning of life because then they don't have to be carrying all of this stuff with them yeah. that can, the stress, the change in the immune system, et cetera, et cetera, that can affect them. Yeah. And, and, I, and I've also done a lot of work with, with women with fertility challenges where they're having, you know, miscarriage after miscarriage and seeming, seem to have trouble conceiving that way. Sometimes after having kids too, I mean, they, they, they may just know that they wanted to have a, a second or a third or something. And they're just that, that, that pregnancy is not going well. And I find a lot of times the same kinds of things. There's, there's, there's a relationship challenge going on with them, with their, you know, their, all their, their different environments and their own body. And that when they shift that and some Sometimes my work is part of it, but I but I feel like there's a bit of my work that ends up being coaching work too, of of really kind of helping right. helping you with let's really let's really think about your what your lifestyle and your surroundings are right now, and and, yes. and some of your close relationships, and sometimes it's with the partner, and sometimes it's with you know other caregivers if there's people in their house maybe they're they're struggling with whatever. There's a lot of there can be a Our lot work, of different dynamics you know, with their yeah. work for sure. Yeah. So. But, and that is where they also have to remember not just to talk to baby, but let baby know, you know, I have a really bad day today at work, or I'm really tired. Or, <laughs> right, or, or, right. Please don't take that on. It's not about you, honey. I'm just, this is how I'm feeling. And so you don't need to help mom, you know. And I think I you just see when you're treating all these babies, and, and I mean fetuses in utero, wanting to take on their mom's stuff, thinking they can help them. And, my, and then you treat how many adults have you treated where you see the stuff they're carrying isn't theirs, right. right? They took it on in utero. And um, it's interesting because what I find is if we can um, talk to the baby and let them know, and I've had people in classes say, well, why do you think that happens? I don't know. I mean, my personal opinion that I, that seems to, from my observation, I think we still don't understand all the energetics of conception as far as like spirit or when the soul comes in and that type of thing. Um, but I do think that these limitless beings come into a little limited body. And I think sometimes they don't realize they're not limitless beings or that they are in a limited body. Mm. And they think they can take on mom's stuff and they don't need to. You know, it's not theirs to take on. I think it's really important that mom communicates that because when mom communicates that at the beginning of life, not only does it help baby not take on mom's stuff, they're building a relationship and good communication that will last their right. entire life. Right. So, so I'm curious then. How, we, like, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say we even saw that, as I said, with the dads that start communicating with the baby, you know, when I was working Absolutely. on the base. And, you know, the dads would come in and, and communicate with baby while mamas were working on treating her when she was pregnant. And um, they said it changed the relationship not only with that baby, but if they already had older kids, it changed the way they communicated with those kids. Yeah. And this is how we create stronger families. Yeah, I, I remember you talking about this in the course that I took with you in Boston. And it was interesting because I had I had this couple that I was working with that, that, that brought their, I think, one-year-old in. And they had had a number of different health complications, you know, early on. And so I'm sitting there with the dad. And, and one of the suggestions you had was to, you know, get the, get the parents involved in, in any way that you feel like you can, whether it's talking to them, hands-on while you're working, that kind of stuff. So, so I'm sitting there treating this, this one-year-old and the, the, I've got the, the dad, you know, 
with with hands on and all of a sudden the dad looks over at me and go and I, there's just a big like and he's and he's like a big old like he's wearing like a patriots jersey and <laughs> and he and he looks over at me and he just kind of does this big sigh and goes oh it's been a tough year and i wow. and i and i could just feel like the release in the whole family it was like dad was holding holding trying to hold everything together as much as he could yeah. for every for all the changes and knowing that there was a lot going on but with mom and and baby i think there were nursing challenges and a lot of different things but dad got to have that that one moment and i felt like there was this shift that just happened right there in front of my eyes yeah and what a gift you know, for you to involve that dad, that was a gift for the dad. Right. But that's that's going to change our whole family dynamic for the better. Right. Right. So yeah, that, those kinds Wonderful. of acknowledgments. I love those stories. Yeah, and I, and I, it's one of the things. Since that course, I remember thinking. I want dads at as many of the sessions as they can come to because I started I started identifying that when when dads were there they could really see what was going on with the the mother baby relationship and you know and I understand culturally dads feel a lot of responsibility being one uh, for you know staying you know really focusing on their careers at that moment while while this other thing is happening and realizing the pressures of of you know becoming a, a parent but. I find that if they really if they really understand more about what this challenge is, um, that th that tends to really change the family dynamic, and that has you know that, that that is part of our work, and that's one of the things that I think, you know, when when people talk about craniosacral therapy, they think they think of just the physical part of the work that we're doing, but I I think about this this whole dynamic that is really so, so connected to the work. Yep, definitely. And now, you know, we see more and more couples come together that might be blended families or different genders. And it's the same whatever family member um, they need to really be connecting. Both both parents really need to be connecting and tuning into the child. And that even goes, I just worked with a, a mom who was having her, a baby with a surrogate mom because she couldn't, she had issues and she couldn't get pregnant. And it was so important for her to communicate with that baby in utero, even though it wasn't in her uterus. Yeah. And it just really helps change that dynamic. Yeah. What's your What's your thoughts on on when to start treating a baby uh, postnatally? I think it's individual. Yeah, I, I, you know, I agree. I generally say, you know, obviously, if there's almost always a little bit of molding of the of the cranium on a yeah, baby. Yeah. And, you know, they, they usually say, oh, that's not a big deal when baby sucks and cries and it'll self-correct usually. Yeah. Um, so I don't worry about that. I really want the mom and dad or the family to have that bonding time with baby. And, of course, I would never take baby off a of mom in the first hour. We want them to have that sacred hour skin to yeah. skin. So um, I have treated moms who maybe had a little bit of a difficult time or maybe they were a cesarean and baby has a hard time latching on, but I treat baby on mom because I don't want to break that skin to skin bond. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so, and I don't want to get in the way of that initial bonding, but if they need a little treatment at that time, I'll do it. Okay. Otherwise I wait until they've had their time. Mom's tired, baby's tired. Yeah. Unless they really need it right away, I don't want to get, I just want to help them make sure they're feeling comfortable together and bonding and, then I don't want to be in the way. Yeah, yeah, I I, so. I agree, and I, I try to make myself available. I, since I don't work in a in a hospital, I, yeah. I but I may have worked with the parent, you know, pre, prenatally, or maybe I worked with you know previous babies. 
I I'd kind of I, I feel like there's a, there's a certain amount of that those first you know t- two three weeks that I feel like they just really need to have their time together, and mm-hmm. there's I, unless there's something that's like absolutely critical for me to be involved, I like to just wait at least that long. I feel right. like that for, for you know and. And you know, th- there doesn't have to be a problem for them to bring the baby in to be to be treated. I think sometimes there there is some some amazing support that happens in that. And also, they 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 know my voice a lot of times if I've been treating them. Right. So people, I, I I got this you know title of the baby whisperer of Brooklyn when I lived there, and I it wasn't <laughs> something that I ever <laughs> thought was going to be my title. But but I but people always kind of ask me like, how do you you know. How did this happen? How do you know how to do this stuff? And I and I don't really think it's it's there's a lot of mystery behind it. I think part of it is I am just very present, you know, in the way that I'm working with them. But the other part of it is that the baby's heard my voice, you know, and and the, and the the mother has or the father, whoever is working with me, has this relationship w- with me, and and there are good feelings about working with me. So when the when they when the, when the when I get to work with the baby, they've already they're, they're already bought in. They're <laughs> they're just they're well, just waiting for me. That's why it gets tricky though as therapists though because they do recognize our voices. Yeah, and they know we're there in a we're holding that good presence. But we want to make sure, because sometimes the baby will come over to you, and I mean in utero if you're treating, but I don't want to, that's another place where we have to be very cautious to not get in the way of the mother and child bond or the parent and baby bond. But it is really fun to see that. It's almost like they recognize you. Yeah. Yeah. And it it makes, it just makes it easier because we, I mean, I've, I've certainly treated plenty of, you know, babies that I didn't get to work with the parents, you know, before seeing them and they may have a lot going on. And, you know, I think you, I think I still have, have learned this way of, of just, you know, taking my time, you know, with letting them kind of lead a little bit more. And I, I think that's that's the way that I kind of end up starting with with babies, and also just having the same, just like I was doing, you know, with this this couple in in Boston, just letting the the parents be, you know, really present and be part of the the session. I think that really helps, you know, to ease their anxiety because most of the time when people are bringing a baby to me who's you know crying all the time and colicky and struggling to nurse, and they're they're going through a lot as a couple right. and as, as 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 new parents, so. Yes, definitely. And I think, and that's where you find is the key is, and the reason I think cranial sacral works so well is because we are following their lead. We're following their inner wisdom and we are letting, helping them facilitate what they need. And how many people sit there? I, if I could bottle one thing that I learned from Dr. Upledger is that one time, one of the times when he treated my son in front of a whole class as a demo. And you have to realize when Dr. Upledger taught a class, there was probably 80 students and 20 teaching assistants, right? And so here this little five-year-old like, oh no, I have to go in there. I said, it's okay, you can close your eyes. And, um, but to see if I could make, if I made a movie, it'd be like the minute Dr. John sat, Dr. Upledger sat down with Ian, the rest of the room disappeared for him. His presence was so completely there for that per- that small person laying on his table that especially as the mom, oh my gosh, my heart was just so, yeah. you know, bursting. And but to see how he just held that that therapeutic presence and talked to my son as a human being, not as a little kid, right? Yeah. And it was just so lovely. And how often do you have someone just 100% there just for you and your needs? If you need to talk, if you don't need to talk, someone's just there for whatever you need at the minute. 
And I think that's such a gift. And I also think that's why we have the success we do because we're not doing it. We're facilitating their process and respecting their time. And Tad Tad Wanvier, who I interviewed, I'm sure you guys know each other. He asked yeah. me sometime during our interview what I learned, what I've learned from treating babies, uh, what I've yeah. learned about working with adults from treating babies. And I think you just yes. you just sort of summed it up. I think the, the the someone being so present to you in in that way is is something that we should be you know we should really be thinking about. You know, I, I mean, I, I tend to think about my adults then sometimes as like their their whole story then when I'm working with them because I've worked with babies and in a lot of other you know ages of, of kids. I think about I think about this adult and and their process and I kind of you know try to almost kind of have that door open of, of imagining like what 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 this person's experience may have been and and I, in, in a way we're really what I'm doing energetically I think is just opening that door for them to be able to express some of that to me. Well, and actually, that's how our embryology class evolved, because, you know, you can take an embryology class and learn it, but really to be able to apply it, you know, we we aren't, (laughs) sometimes it's tricky to get enough pregnant moms and babies in classes for us to treat. Trying to round up embryos might be a little more difficult, but (laughs) we treat the embryo and the adult, and we learn how all the systems, the neurological system, the immune system, the hormonal system, we palpate all that, and we learn how it develops through that adult and takes them back to their embryological development. And you're right, you see that to the point where when you see how someone's acting, you're going, Oh, I wonder what happened to them at birth. <laughs> Sometimes I have to turn it off. My husband's like, "Yeah, just take a break." <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, it's like I had a client um, not too long ago that had issues, and she was a very successful client, and she had a company, and she was very good at delegating, and she was like a visionary. Yeah, and but the reason she was good at that on in her personal life, there was no one to delegate to. I mean, she hired people to do things for mm-hmm. her. And she said, you know, I just don't follow through on my own and it drives me crazy. And so I've created a job where I can delegate that to others, but I still want to heal myself to where I'm better at following through. And when we treated her, she went back to her birth. And what happened, labor and delivery was going really well. And then mom, they gave mom, it was at a time when they knocked mom out, basically. Um, It was in the late 50s, I believe. Anyway, so when they did that, it's like, she was working, working, everything stopped and she couldn't finish the labor. Then she was, she was delivered via with forceps. That's how they did it then, but she wasn't, a, didn't finish it. And so that was the same pattern that set up in her adult life. Yeah. She couldn't follow through on things because the, something stopped her. And once we shifted that in her birth, then she was able to finish projects she started. Yeah. And sometimes it happens, you know, somewhere else in childhood too. It doesn't always happen yeah. at, at oh, birth. Sure. I mean, so many people have, I've worked with who they've been, you know, something will come up, a memory response will come up or something and they'll, and it'll be some kind of, I remember when there was somebody who, who was, um, they were hiding under a car for whatever reason they were like, you know, trying to surprise somebody, playing hide and seek or something. And they got caught in something and stuck under there. And then when they, when the parent found them, of course they were furious 
probably scared, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. the, but the way the child reads this as, is, you know, is just anger. And then realizing that they've been holding on to like a lot of emotional energy from this, from this experience, you know, since they were three years old, you know, and, and so those, those kinds of things when they're released, which I think, you know, it's important for people to understand why this work can be so helpful. And the earlier we start this work in terms of ch changing those, the, that, that epigenetics is, is about that, this kind of thing. Well, but it's also helping educate the parents to be conscious parents or yeah, parents in awareness yeah. because the more they're communicating in utero with baby, then if they found their child under a car instead of just, of course, they're going to be scared and furious because they're scared, right? Yeah. But the baby takes it, the child takes it on as, you know, they were, did something bad and they're not a good person. If they've been communicating with the child, then they're more likely to go, oh, you know what, you scared me because this is really dangerous right. and it really upset me because this is what could happen. So they explain it differently. Yeah. And so then the child doesn't take it on thinking, oh, I'm a, I'm a failure, I'm bad or whatever. Yeah. And so it really changes that dynamic of communication. Yeah. And that's, and that's another thing that I feel like it's it's the, the one thing I love about Upledge Your Courses is that while while it goes down to the very deep cellular, you know, education of what we're what we're actually working at there's a lot of this sort of nuance of of helping to to educate and and that 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 education and that that neutrality of of, of us as as therapists to you know what we might be experiencing so that we don't that we're not quick to judge what what a person's experience is is such a it's, it's just a huge part and i think that's a big part of what dr Appledger brought to the community in 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 health I agree, because once we understand that, then we're not quick to judge and it changes, right? Yeah. You know, you see someone where they're at, you meet them where they're at yeah. and honor them because we're neutral. We don't judge. And I and I think if we could have more people emulate that, that also people are too quick in the world to jump to judgment or conclusions or whatever. And part of that comes from what they learned in childhood. Yeah. You know, so I think that's a beautiful thing that Dr. Uplitcher gave us. I agree. And and this and this part of empowering the the client or patient in, oh, in, in in the experience for me has been such a huge part of my career. And I and I, there's you know having worked a little bit more on on the alternative or you know non traditional side of of care, I hear a, a lot of people you know in adjacent fields sometimes telling their clients you know too much, trying to you know trying to, and, and there's a lot of projection that can go on in that kind yes. of, and that kind of yes. thing. <laughs> Whereas, you know, so many of the courses that I've taken, like Stan Jerome's class and a few other, where, you, right. where you're, you're really trying to get as much of that, uh, that person to engage as much of that, their own story and, and bring that to the surface as possible. Even if you may intuit things as a therapist, which we're always going to, we're never going to be a hundred percent right. And, right. and I, and I, when I'm, I've done some working and training with new therapists and I, I'm always reminding them that they don't have to know, you know, it's, it's, even though they may, may, they may intuit things, that's, that's not for them, you know, but to, they have to wait until the, until the client brings it to them to work with it. Well, and that's the tricky part because, you know, some of we all are wanting to help people, right? Exactly. And when I always used to want to make everything perfect and tied up with a bow, but it, it doesn't, you have to honor where they're at and what they have to go through. And it does have to be their timing and their, when they're ready to see something or acknowledge something. Yeah. And, you know, when you were talking about people projecting, that comes from their own stuff, right? Of, of course. <laughs> they can only, they can only talk to someone from where they're at, right? Yeah. yeah. 
and and like you said, they 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 want to help, but right. the, this this is not what 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 my my feeling is, and and from the training that I've gotten through Appalachian Institute, I feel like that's that's not that's not a that's not a helpful thing for anyone. Well, and but that goes back to what we always say is making sure that us therapists are getting to our treatments yeah, absolutely. too. Absolutely. You know, when Dr. Uplifter was alive, he insisted that his instructors, after so many classes, got treated and went to the institute and got, um, you know, treatment at the intensive care, you know, when when they um, went through a number of treatments to yeah. be able to clear stuff out and be able to stand in front of a class and hold the space. Yeah. And it really does make a difference. Yeah. And I, and I, my, my private practice is usually about 25% healthcare people yeah. um, from lots of different fields of care. And, yeah. and, Wonderful. and I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, that's becoming more of a thing because I, I feel like they're just, they're, they're much better in their, in their work if they're right. getting kind of this kind of care. Right. Um, and it, it, it helps them because then they're, they're better able to hold the space for others yeah. and then they're not taking on their stuff or it's not putting stress on them. It's yeah. just much healthier Yeah, and but, it creates healthy boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is so fun, Carol. I, this is the tip of the iceberg with you. I know there's so we could go into so, so many things, but but and maybe we can we can get into another topic. But I think this is very helpful for anyone considering having a, a child or is in the process of going through it, or maybe having another one and wants to do you know wants to do do it differently this time around. It's just, I mean, this this is the kind of resource that I feel like I've been trying to get out there. I feel like the podcast is a really easy way to kind of get information out here too. Definitely. And that's what we, we want to enable and empower parents too. Yeah. So, you know, I think they've forgotten and I, somewhere along the way, um, it's wonderful that we have great medicine and doctors and all that. But sometimes we've put moms just give up all their personal power and not realize, you know, if they're out in the woods by themselves, their body would know how to give birth. Right. And so, you know, you know, hopefully, you know, if we keep taking that away from them, there might come a generation when that we can't. And so it's really important that we're able to empower the people that come into us. Yeah. And, and, and covering this topic, I've already done some work with childbirth educators and midwives. And this theme that you that you just hit on is it, it feels like it's it's the thing, the thread that's going through everything right now. It is for sure, because, I mean, we we carry it is so important for us to um, to honor, and for I say us, women, to honor their bodies in childbirth. Yeah. You know, but it's also important for men to understand. I love the fact that you said, you know, you were there for your kids and, and talking to prospective fathers. Um, it's really important for them to understand it. You know, yeah. in Apple, we actually had dads on because they want to understand more and they want to be an active part of it yeah. even though it's not their body right um but they donated half half the dna right yeah and so it's really important that we get them everyone being a being able to be a part of it and to be heard and respected with that yeah and it's and it's you know we being a parent whose kids are getting older now i i'm, I'm realizing how quickly this all goes and that it's this opportunity that that fathers need to have you know, mothers get to have this in very intense, you know, experience and, and fathers can be very involved in that. I think a lot, a lot more fathers are, even since I've started working with babies, I, I've seen a big shift happen. So I agree. Yeah. I agree. Amazing. I love that. I love all the work you're doing. I love, we need more of us out there doing it, right? We do. 
We do. can create change. Yeah. And hopefully we'll see you in the, the matrix class, the um, embodying our embryology, because I think that answers a lot of the questions you were talking about, about conception and what we bring in with us. Well, I might I might have to drop in. <laughs> where, where is it? There you go. And the fun thing is to see all the new science that supports what Dr. Upledger and I were talking about 30 years ago. So yep. it's very exciting. Are, are you doing online courses uh, with that or is, is it in person? I'm not right now. There, there will, we are working on over COVID where because that used to be considered the second obstetrics class, CCPB2, but um, John Matthew Upledger said, Carol, there are so many adults in SER classes that are going through their birth. Can you make that prerequisite SER instead of instead of obstetrics one? Yeah. And so over COVID, that's one nice thing about being home, right? We got I got some of that stuff done. We reorganize it so instead of a four day class, if the one the first day will be virtual, and we are just finishing that video, and then the second three days is hands on. And we've actually done a couple of the three day hands on classes. Cool. I, I like that combination. I think just did in Argentina. Yeah. Because I, because I yeah. like, I'm, I'm somebody who likes to do a lot of research and, and learning stuff before I, before I get into it too. So that's I like that. Yeah, it'll, it'll make your inner nerd really happy. There's a <laughs> lot of information. <laughs> that's great. Well, thanks so much for doing this with me, Carol. Really, oh, really appreciate fun, it. And I am so happy to reconnect with you and hear all the wonderful work you're doing. This is how we create a, a better future for our kids, right? Yeah. Well, thanks. I hope, I hope so, to see you again in person soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Carol McClellan, folks. The quote that still sticks with me from this, something I've heard many times in my training with Upledger, but is always a great reminder, is that we can't change what's happened to us, but we can change the story in ourselves. It's such an essential part of who we are and how we heal and move forward in a more positive state of existence. I had a conversation with a midwife friend yesterday that sums this up beautifully. She said she and her siblings have this running joke that they all had different parents. Now they all had the same biological parents, but there's 10 years between the oldest and the youngest. And as children, we don't realize that the parents are growing, learning and maturing, both as parents and in their own human experience. We are all doing the best that we can with the understanding that we have in this moment. With this acceptance, we can forgive the mistakes we've made and the mistakes others have made with us, release this emotional energy and move forward in a positive way. Our cells are taking notes, gathering information, responding to our lead, informing our systems to respond based on this information and changing this narrative changes how our cells respond to new information, which can create huge shifts and change the way we feel, how we relate to others and even our DNA for generations. Big thanks to Carol for taking the time to do this with me. Really appreciate you and all that you do in the world. Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can reach out to me anytime at jeremy at highway2.health. And before you leave or move on to the next episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take a minute to rate the show on your app. Or if you can take an extra minute, write a brief review of why you liked this show or this episode and anything that's inspired you to improve your health. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends.
If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.